Welcome to For Rent, conversations to better the rental industry. I'm your host, Mackenzie Wilson. Whether you're a first-time homeowner, an accidental landlord, a seasoned investor, or perhaps just a curious tenant, this is the podcast for you. Join the conversation as we cover best practices, industry news, and one-on-ones with thought leaders in the rental industry. We'll go deeper to cover the lessons learned and get to the root cause of challenges facing the rental industry today. We'll empower you with the information you need to be a better landlord or a more informed tenant. Let's get to it. In this episode of the For Rent Podcast, I have a great guest speaker. His name is Anthony, and give me a take here. I'm going to make sure I don't butcher his beautiful Italian last name. Anthony Molinero. I struggle with names, but I'm trying. Uh, great guest on the show. We talk my favorite topic, tenant screening. But it was a really cool take to listen to Anthony's perspective on this skill set as he's operating in Ontario, so very different legislation than here in Alberta. Plus, he's generally dealing with some hot markets and some slowdowns recently that he's had to manage the risk around tenant screen. So it's a great compare and contrast on how I do it. Uh, I, I loved it. Some great lessons to take away. So hopefully you guys can improve your business and do better in the rental industry. Let's get to this episode. So I'm going to throw the first question at you, Anthony. You talked about trying to find your place in tents right now, probably on paper. And as we know, with the, the low point in the season, Christmas holidays, it being the middle of winter, which is just generally not pleasant moving into a new property. Um, you're doing the toughest time of year to find tenants. So you mentioned uh, a bunch of different areas around and uh, forgive me for my Alberta ignorance here, but you said... Uh, Barry, and what was a couple of other places you're looking to, to find tenants right now? So I'm, I'm looking, I'm doing a single family home in Barry, um, a basement unit in Hamilton, a student rental in Thorold, which is just beside St. Catharines near Brock University, and uh, another single family home in St. Catharines. And I'm finding Barry is, is the best in terms of demand right now. Today is December 21st when we're recording this, but I've noticed since maybe October, September, the whole rental market has slowed down in terms of demand. It's getting a bit harder to find a tenant right now in Southern Ontario. That's been my perspective and the perspective of a few other people, with the exception of student rentals. Student rentals, the demand is just, it still seems to be exploding for student rentals. We at uh, Rockstar really? Real Estate, yeah, we're looking at all sorts of stats with international students, uh, just the enrollments that have been skyrocketing. So student rentals seem to be the easiest properties to find tenants for. I mean, there's also, we're not pre-screening and screening tenants and doing background checks on these student rentals either. So it's a lot easier just to have a group of students come out as long as it's a big enough group, then we can sign a lease for them almost on the spot. It's not like we're doing credit checks, you know, single key background checks, uh, you know, income verification, all that type of stuff, because it's typically the parents who are paying all that. Um, we'll get parental guarantees and stuff, but the student rental, um, the demand's been good. I've actually posted the ad a bit earlier. For student rentals, I typically would, would post um, the first week of uh, right after New Year's Eve because then, because all the students have gone home for the holidays. And so they're returning back typically that weekend, that first weekend in January after New Year's Eve. And so that's that's when I would kind of arrange the first showings to happen. So the student rental one, I jumped the gun and posted early just to see what I would get. And I've so far I've just gotten people and it's like, yeah, like I'm there until you know the 20th, but then I'm gone and then we're all back then. So I'm like, okay, no problem. So I'm just gathering interested people right now and I'll reach out to yeah, everyone. Shortlist. And then, yeah, and then I, now I have like over the holidays because people are gonna be free and at home. I'm assuming, you know, some people will take advantage of that free time to look at more um, re uh, rental listings and stuff with their friends. So I'm just gathering a pool of interested people. And then first weekend, I'll just have one big showing and likely find those people. But yeah, the other ones are slow right now, man. Slow. Okay. So, so, so I got two questions here um, that you you kind of highlight. I want to ask. So, so for the student rentals, uh, in terms of timing, because obviously students have a very um, very clear structured schedule they follow for whatever program or or school or faculty that they're part of are you timing anything off of that or is there a semester a start date that that you're trying to target for for listing right now how you how you doing that part yeah so the student rentals my actually my own property whereas the other properties I'm, I'm finding tenants for other investors just my little tenant placement business um, but uh, for, for my student rental what I'll do is May 1st, to April 30th leases. So right now I have a group of seven okay. students in there now. It's a seven bedroom student rental I rent out to Brock students. And um, so they're in there up until April 30th, 2023. 
So now I'm advertising mm. and looking for tenants, you know, the first week of January, end of December to sign them up for a May 1st, 2023 start date. And so oh, oh, wow. because their like their semesters, yeah, their exams and semesters end in April. And if you're looking for, you know, with student rentals, we typically try to find one big group of students and sign one lease with that group of students for various uh, reasons that which we can get into as well. Um, but mm -hmm. so we're looking for those groups ahead of time because to try and do it last minute in April, a lot of those groups have already kind of found a place. And so that's just wow. the, the cycle of finding student rentals in Ontario. Um, different schools might have different lease start dates and stuff. Maybe some colleges might have a September, uh, lean towards a September 1st uh, lease start. They might even be on an eighth month lease. But what I do is a 12 month lease, May 1st to April 30th every year. And I start advertising as long as that group isn't staying another school year, which this group isn't. So uh, then I start advertising first week of January. And then hopefully, you know, throughout January, I would have found someone sign them up for May 1st. Interesting. Okay. So very different from a normal rental where it's like, yeah, the place is vacant. I'm looking for someone now. Or, you know, my tenants are leaving in 30, 60 days. They just gave notice. I'm looking for someone now to have them in there right away. Yeah. Well, I think it's super interesting. One, like you are half a year out, right? So, I mean, that's just a very different tactic as opposed to uh, if you have a, a regular tenancy ending and you're looking for to, to replace it, you know, I'm operating three months. So, I have the three months that I talk to my tenant. Are you going to stay or go? Are we going to renew? Great. We're going to renew. Okay, good. You're not going to renew. Okay, perfect. Well, you've got two months now to start looking for your next place. Uh, we've had the conversation. I've got two months to advertise on list, and there's just in a very strong position to avoid a vacancy by having the right lead time to, to market, do the viewings, do your due diligence and, and find the next tent to move in. Okay. So, so you're, so you're five, six months out. One thing I wanted to comment too, I, th I thought was interesting because you said like the demand has been unusually, like it's still high for student rentals. And I know the first time we've come out of COVID where things are, I'm going to say generally 99% back to normal as they were pre COVID but a bunch of people on the supply side in the student rentals left the market because school was shut down for, what was it, three semesters or that long period of time and never really came back. Now school's back in full force. And I heard um, there's even articles came out this fall that students were living in shelters out, out in Ontario because it's just that's how many students are where no one, nowhere to move. So. Is that, is that kind of your feeling on the ground where you, maybe you're seeing the, all this additional demand coming from? There's so much student rental demand. Um, even the single family home that I'm doing in Barry, it's near Georgian College. And 50% plus of the applicants are groups of students. And the particular landlords I'm working with don't actually want to have students in this house. And so I'm not renting to those students, but that's, that's where most of the demand is coming from. I just did another property near Georgian College in Barrie, and it was like all students. And if it wasn't students, it was a group of working professionals who had all just finished school and were all kind of still bunking up together. So it's still this demand coming from students and all the immigrants and really, really international students that are coming here. So on Southern Ontario, there's a massive, massive uh, demand for student rentals, it seems like right now. There's a ton of them looking. And uh, yeah, it, it just it seems to be the least problematic to find people for right now. T totally. I'm going to draw a, an interesting thing I learned, I learned this year with, with getting more involved with how you guys handle rentals in Ontario versus what we would do here in Alberta. So, so you know, uh, in Alberta, we go, we want to do fixed terms because we have the ability to actually end a term. Either party can choose not to renew and we go, we go our separate ways. But for you guys, student rentals to me seems like a lot more work because every year I typically know I'm, I'm replacing and finding a new tenant so that you have to do the whole tenant placement process, which takes, of course, time and effort. But from your guys' perspective, Ontario, I forgot, I, we did a survey or something, but the feedback was they actually really like doing the student rentals out there because it gives you guys abilities to turn over tenants and keep the, the market, the, the rent competitive to whatever the market rates are. Whereas more of the traditional method for you guys, you guys are typically stuck longer with tenants. I, do I have that right? Um, why why is it might be more appealing? So when you sign a lease, like let's say a year-long lease, which is the standard here in Ontario with someone, the lease automatically goes month to month. And then the tenant has every right to stay. They don't have to leave at all. And then the only way you can get the tenant out is if they choose to leave or if you evict them for grounds for eviction. And so you're kind of stuck with them after. So, you know, most people, 
or a lot of people and a lot of investors we work with at Rockstar, for example, they just keep uh, the lease month to month because it provides both sides with more flexibility you know, in terms of selling a house or the tenants wanting to stay, but then all of a sudden move. They don't have to lock into another year. So that's typically uh, what we do is, is we just stick with the month to month. You can sign another year long lease if you want. But yeah, and then regarding the student rental leases, it's great because the higher turnover with so much rent inflation that we've seen in Ontario, um, because of the rent controls, which, you know, this year they raised to 2.5%, which doesn't really actually keep up with your costs as a landlord, right? Like it's, it's price controls of what you can charge, even though your expenses as a landlord are going up, you can't actually charge the rent that would help cover those expenses, right? Which is, it is what it is. We have rent controls here. And so with the student rentals, what I do like about it is that higher tenant turnover, because especially with universities, the longest you'll most likely be stuck with the group is three years, maybe four years if everyone stays behind and fails all their classes and needs to do like, you know, a fifth year, because, you know, first year students are, are mainly staying on residence. Then they get a group of friends. Then we rent to that group of friends in year two or year three or four. So the longest you're going to get them is three years. Average is like two, you know, it might be one year, like these tenants that are leaving were there for one year. And then, so now I get to turn it over. So for this particular house, I'm earning 4,025 bucks in rent from this group of tenants. Now, one year later, I'm now charging 4,500 in rent, right? So it's quite a significant jump. And I like that because it's, it's like, now I get to keep pace with inflation and my expenses going up. And so I actually don't mind it. And because it's so easy to find a group and you don't even have to do all the background checks, we're getting parental guarantees and, and that type of stuff. Um, it's just easy. It's, it's the easiest fills ever. Like I actually don't get hired for student rental fills by other people because it's so easy. People don't seem the need to hire. And it's also more money they'd be paying me for, for my typical one month's rent commission uh, on a student rental that's much higher because of the higher cash flow. Okay, interesting. Okay, so so let's let's go on that then. So um, you don't do credit checks for students. Um, why is that? Uh, just because like most students aren't working. If they are working, it's part-time. And we really know that their parents are supporting them. And if they're in university and tuition's being paid, you know, we've just never found it a problem to um, just have a bunch of uh, students sign up. Some mm -hmm. older, more experienced landlords I've worked with and actually helped them with student rentals before. They're like, yeah, just get the six or seven students to sign the lease. We don't need parental guarantees because they've had these student rentals for like 20 plus years and never had any problems. So they don't, they're just like, yeah, it's fine. It is what it is. We haven't had a problem yet. So we don't expect one going forward. Um, for me, I just got into student rentals this, this past year. So I, I've been a bit more paranoid about it and trying to cover my butt. And so I got my seven students to all sign one group lease, right? One lease for the property, which has, has some benefits. And then I got parental guarantees, a second document that I put together where I had each parent sign to basically guarantee that, um, rent will be paid and any damages that are done, they're on the hook for. And so, okay. I haven't had to bring that to the landlord tenant board at all. Thankfully, I don't even know if it would hold up because it's technically not part of the lease agreement, but it is a separate contract. So I don't even know, but just like the fear, like just having them sign it, they know, Hey, I'm laying down on expectations. If there's a bunch of holes in the walls, cause you guys got drunk and punched holes in, in the walls one night, it's like, you're on the hook for it. Right. And so it just provides an extra sense of security for myself. I think that's awesome, by the way, because why not have more paperwork? You know, hopefully it does hold water if you have to go and use it. But I mean, it shows like there's a different level of accountability and there's like, there's definitely a psychology or psychology kind of factor when you have to pen to paper and sign your name and, and actually commit, you know, so having the parents do that, they're going to be a little bit more, Hey Johnny, Hey Jill, like I'm going to, I put my, my name in the line. You owe me if things go side, like there's, there's a higher degree of accountability inherently through the process by just by doing that whether or not you actually ever use the paperwork in any actual fashion yeah so now it's just like not just pressure for me as the landlord for you guys to pay and not damage the property it's like now there's parent there's pressure from your parents who are paying for you to go to school in the first place to not screw around because then they're on the hook so it just doubles that pressure on them yeah yeah i, I like it. It, it it's forced accountability on everyone yeah it's well placed it's great pro tip anthony so right on I can talk about two more things um, that, that I like about the, the student rental leases. So I get all the people on one group lease for different reasons. Instead of doing individual leases, I like the group lease because um, banks typically, you know, it can be harder to finance student rentals. Banks don't like them as much if they know it's specifically student rentals. If there's 16 leases in one year or whatever, eight leases, yeah. Yeah. If, if there's seven individual leases for one property, it's a dead giveaway. If there's one group lease with seven names on it, it's not as obvious that it's a student rental, 
right? And they're paying rent and I'm earning rent. So I don't feel like that's a bad thing. It's just, I just have them all on one lease for that reason. And then another reason um, that I like it is if one student doesn't pay, like typically how it works is what, what, what I do is like, let's say my house this year, I'm advertising 4,500 bucks. You divide that by seven mm -hmm. rooms, that's 650 per room. Some rooms are better than other rooms. So I just tell the group of students at the showing, look, here's the, the to total rent for the house. We have one lease. It's up to you guys how you want to divide up the rooms. If you think one room's worth more, then you can pay 700, you pay 600, you guys work it out. So I'm removing myself from that argument, from being like, oh, you know, how come he, I'm paying the same as him, but he's got, you know, 10 more square feet in his room and a window. So it's like, you know what? This is your problem. You guys figured out, you know what the monthly rent is for the house. It's on Here's you. your life skill. Negotiate how you guys are going to live together. Does I remove yourself from that. There's no need to be part of that conversation to begin with. No need. Yeah. And then quickly I'll mention, I don't do Wi-Fi either. Cause it's like, if the internet goes down, you guys figure it out. It's your internet. The last thing I need is getting phone calls. Like the internet's down and I'm trying to negotiate it from a distance and, and figure it out. I just yeah, leave that onto them. How can you, you can't, yeah, you can't feasibly troubleshoot that. So, okay. Awesome. So, so you, you very, you very specifically and intentionally have one lease, which by the way, I think collecting rent once from one person as opposed to six, seven e-transfers is just that's seven times more opportunities for something to fail. So it simplifies the process. That's awesome. So that's, that's another thing. Can I just quickly mention? So, so other, yeah. So, so other landlords will actually collect those seven rents individually. And what I started doing Ugh. is when I got my student rental, yeah, I was like, I was like, okay, guys, I need one leader in the group to collect rents from everyone and then send it all collectively to me on the first of the month when rent is due. And so one, it provides, you know, a, a leader of the house naturally steps up to collect rents. And then that kind of signifies, okay, that's the leader. That's who I'm communicating with and stuff. And then he's collecting rent from all his friends. I get the one payment, which also looks a lot better on, you know, when you're going to refinance the property, pull out equity to buy another one in the bank size, you're just getting this one rental thing coming in. And then also it puts pressure on the other students to make, like if one student doesn't want to pay their 650 bucks or they're late, it's like all the other students are like, dude, we need the money because now I'm serving them an N4 notice, which is notice to evict if they don't pay me on time to everyone. So now it's, it's like, you're all getting evicted if this one person doesn't pay. So now it's social pressure from all the other people to pay instead of just like, Hey dude, I'm just evicting you out of your bedroom. And their friends are like, yeah, you know, Charlie, you're being an idiot. Like you're going to get evicted. Now it's like, Charlie, like pay money or tell your parents to pay money. Cause we can't afford to get evicted here. Right. Yeah, no, that that's really, it's, it's, it's a team effort. And man, when, when you get the peer pressure, when you get peer pressure from your peers, if you're not holding your yes. end of the bargain, uh, far more effective than, than Anthony, the landlord, who's two hour drive away trying to phone call being, Hey John, where's my rent? Right. I, I think that's, that's simple, brilliant. You know, why do you want to manage and make sure check for seven transactions or, or e-transfers every month? That's a pain in the butt. But having that one come in from one person, and like you said, your paperwork's super clean. If you're in that growth side of building up your portfolio, you've got very clean paperwork to go to the bank. And hopefully, if it presents well, it helps you qualify a bit more than what you could with otherwise not having it. So, okay, super interesting. So, you may, yeah, you don't do the, the checks. Uh, you mentioned international students. That's always a challenge to quantify and, and protect yourself. So, is there things you do differently around the international international student side as opposed to someone who's domestic or, or a local uh, student? Like, how do you qualify different pieces of information you might ask for or questions or how do you approach that? Yeah, it's tough because I actually haven't found any international students that like earn enough income to support the rents on their own, which I can easily verify through pay stubs or whatever. Um, often they don't have credit scores. So yeah, it's a whole different thing. Um, often I rely on that case. I think I rented one basement apartment to an international student and we were relying on bank statements. It's like, here's the money their parents were depositing in, the, in their account every month. And it was a significant amount of money and there was a long track record of it. And so that's how we were verifying that one person. But it's a whole different ballgame. I typically like actually dealing with with immigrants as opposed to like if all things being equal and one family is like you know just this beautiful family that just immigrated from colombia versus maybe mm -hmm. a, a family that was born and raised here and everything else is equal I, t I actually like the immigrants even even though they might not have credit scores and that type of stuff because it's like they're new to the country they don't want to mess around and get evicted they don't know any landlord tenant uh board laws they might not have been lifelong renters um, they likely have some savings in the bank because they, they need savings to immigrate here. They're not entitled because, you know, they're, they're just grateful to be, have this opportunity in a new country. And
And so I actually kind of like that. And it's also a feel good thing to, I knew at the, at the end of the day, it's about protecting ourselves. But then I also like the, the feel good thing of like, okay, I'm helping this new country come or this new uh, people come to the country and stuff. Um, but all things being equal, I kind of like that. There's a really strong work ethic when someone comes to a new country and they want to, to, to make a go for themselves. And uh, you definitely see that, that come through for sure. You know, when I, I had another conversation and um, this, uh, this guy named uh, Matt, I'm totally going blank on his, on his last name, but he, we, we were at Reality Plus and uh, they, built an, they built in downtown Toronto a 640-unit tower intentionally for, for student rentals. And it was just, um, he was telling me their clientele, like, well, maybe it might be different because we're talking downtown Toronto, but there was, I didn't even know, see, there was like a dozen different institutions, post-secondary schools that were within, within a half an hour walk. And he said their demographic was so strong. Well, same thing you said, right? There's just, there's not enough supply for the demand, but the people that could come and afford to pay to put their, their, their kids in school in Canada typically come from, from really well-off families. And, uh, paying rent was no problem and actually we had a landlord too actually at your rock at the rockstar conference we're, we're chatting in our booth and he was like wondering if there was an ability to uh, offer credit card payments for foreign students because you know they're only there for a short period of time so the hassle to set a bank account was was almost being prohibitive whereas the parents would have been happily to pay you know what i pay a premium for credit card fees whatever but if i can just pay pay up front you know, a semester at a time for rent, I'd happily do that. So it was a really interesting way to look at. And then if you're getting your rent, I mean, again, you're not supposed to collect that much rent up front, but even if you're paying it monthly by credit card and it just works. It's not bad if you have a credit card on file, right? Kind of gives you the extra comfort levels of landlord that you can get paid. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about the demand during COVID for student rentals. We actually found the demand didn't drop at all through COVID, even with the lockdowns, even when it was purely online schooling. Like we didn't notice it at all because all these students, they know this is their four year time where they get to live with all their friends, party it up and live away from home. And they're locked down at home anyways. They might as well be locked down with their friends. And so we didn't notice that whatsoever. Like people, even the fact it was all online schooling, they still wanted to live with their friends, especially if like mom and dad are footing the bill. It's like to them, they they want the the lifestyle with their friends, right? Well, you know, and it's... I, I look back at, at, at my my time going through for post-secondary and it was just a fun time to take that next kind of step or milestone in your life and, and live and figure out who you are. So that's just as important as, as, as of course, getting the education that, that you're going out for. So I could, that's interesting. And I, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. I think about, I don't, I don't know if it changed much here in Calgary. I, you know, I, I don't have student rentals, so I, I can't unfortunately speak to that, but that's a, that's a very interesting observation. Yeah, I after buying this last student rental this year, I'm like such a huge fan. It's by far produces the most cash flow of my portfolio. Like for example, I've got three homes in St. Catharines, uh, St. Catharines okay. area, and they're all about this worth about the same amount of money. And uh, two of them rent for twenty four hundred. One's twenty three hundred. One's twenty four hundred. Actually, just increased the rents, so a bit more than that. And then um, the student mm-hmm. rental is renting for just over 4000 Now it's going to bump up to 4500 for about the same value house. Now there's different financing issues that can come with it. Yeah, maybe there's more uh, tenant turnover and that type of stuff. But all things being equal, I'm like, man, this is great. I'm earning so much cash, especially with these rates now having gone up. And I'm on three variable rate mortgages. So now the student rental has been like a lifesaver for my portfolio because of the income it's producing. So now I'm a huge fan of them. And I'm seeing all the the student rental demand when I fill it myself and for other investors. I'm like, okay, there's something here. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. It's, and so I and I think too, like, you know, the other question I want to ask on the student rental, then then I want to transition to just general strategies and finding finding tenants right now, especially at this time of year. You're not doing a credit check, which is totally fair. If someone's just starting out, they don't have a lot of credit history or might have no credit history, but you're getting the co-sign from the parent side. Is that probably the best thing you do to make sure that they're not going to damage the property and you get that kind of, I guess like my question is in the, in the general stereotypes out there's like, you know, I'm all for renting to students. I know for sure there's good students out there, but how do I, how do I disconcern or separate the ones that are there to party and perhaps do do that, that, that typical partying and damaging to the property that I don't want from the students that 
are going to be responsible. They're there for the school, but they're also there to, to enjoy that part of, of going through and, and living on their own. Like how, how do you, what was the best way or how, how do you, from your perspective, separate those two? Yeah, that's mainly, I think, from meeting them in person and getting a gut feel. You know, how do they act and stuff? And it's like, I'm 27, like my friends and stuff were in school and I was in school just like eight to five years ago. And so it's like, I got a pretty good feel for that type of stuff. You know, are they partiers? Are they responsible? Maybe they just throw the odd little gathering with their friends. Like, you know, how do they speak? How do they dress? Um, so it's really just picking up a gut feel from that. And it's like, um, I remember filling a student rental by McMaster University in Hamilton last year. And I put up the ad five days later, I was using Calendly to book showings because I was being overrun with showing requests. I couldn't keep track of it all. Basically, I, I, was, I posted my ads, people would reach out and I had a pre, pre-written message. I would copy and paste to them on the online ad platforms like Facebook Marketplace, that was the big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, just say like, look, this house is going to be rented to a group of six or seven students. If that's you, great. Here's the times I'm doing the showings. These are the only times I'm available for a showing. Book in a time slot if you'd like to come and see the house. And then they book in a 15-minute time slot on Calendly. I had 50 showings booked within four or five days. And then on the first two showings, the groups came out and I had two signed leases for them at the property already. And then I went down the list, canceled everyone else, all 48 other showings that I had booked. Wow. And then I had two groups, two deposits collected at that first showing for last month's rent in full. And I had my pick between the two. And they were both great groups. I actually wish I had another student rental to put the other group in. Um, but I unfortunately mm. could only pick one of them. And they're two nice groups of girls. But one I could tell were more like the popular party type girls. And then the other were like, I don't know, more studious types. And um, and they also brought their parents along for the showings. So I could tell, nice. you know, their parents were closely involved in their lives and making sure they're setting them up and, you know, going into a nice home and stuff. So I could tell good they were more- Good support system in place. A good support system and just more of that studious vibe. And so I went with the studious vibe, even though I really liked the other group, like nice girls and stuff, I could just tell it was going to be more of like, they were more social girls, just the way they acted and stuff. And so to that, Mm -hmm. it it all came down to gut feel, but they were both great groups. I haven't actually met any students where I'm like, oh, you guys are terrible. You know, I think they get like, like anything, like the news, you turn on the news, all you hear about are the worst events happening around the world. Right. You don't hear about the 99.9% of normal human uh, cooperation and regular day living, yeah. right? It's like you hear about the worst things. Same thing with student rentals. You hear about all the horror stories, but in reality, it's not as bad as as it really is in reality. As they, as they make it up. When you grab those deposits on the spot the day of those two viewings, how did you do that? Was that e-transfers or something else or... E-transfer. And so I do that with all showings. So student rentals and regular properties um, at the showing, I have them, I've already pre-screened them and stuff, which we can talk about too, using like an online Google form. So by the time I'm doing a physical showing with them at the house, they've already been pre-screened to meet my criteria, at least based off what they've told me. Then I do the showing. Yeah. I have them fill out a rental application with some more in-depth questions. I don't necessarily want to ask in the pre-screening process. And then I ask, Hey, if you're serious about this property, I'm actually collecting deposits towards last month's rent. And I tell them the deposit is 100% refundable if we don't select you for the property. If we select another another applicant, I just e-transfer it back to you. If we do select you for the property, then I keep it and it goes towards your last month's rent. And I just tell them straight up, I'm like, look, it takes me it takes me time, energy, and money to run these background checks on all the applicants. And I just don't want someone who's going to back out last minute because they found another house they like more or whatever. And so I'm like, I've just been burned enough times and wasted enough time. Now it's like, I only will run a background check and proceed if I collect a deposit from you. And for the most part, people, if they're serious about the property, it gets them off the fence. They're, they're either not serious about it or they are serious and they'll send a deposit. And I just say as much as you can put towards last month's rent, I leave it open-ended. And um, because it's, I tell them it's non-refundable if I do select you. So I, I want more money because they're more committed to the property. And then, uh, so if someone puts full last month's rent, I know they're super committed. I know they're willing to walk away from that if they found another rental. And so I know they, they don't want to walk away from that. And uh, that's, that's been my process. No, it's a good pro tip, Anthony. I mean, so in Alberta, we don't have this thing called last month's rent, but I like how you made that open-ended because all of a sudden you have a gauge now, uh, call rent, you know, for argument's sake, call $2,000. You've got the full 2000 as opposed to someone might give you 800 bucks. You're like, well, you know, you can go through the application, of course, to do due diligence, but knowing someone's put the full amount up online, uh, uh, you know, deposit to you or do an e-transfer, gives you a lot of confidence as a landlord to make, you know, these people are, are really serious about it. So 
That's a great way to read into the application by a dollar amount that gets transferred. Yeah. I don't, does anything you want to add to that? Because I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. So sometimes, Pete, you experience some resistance with that. Like people will be like, I've got actually two or three more showings, you know, later this day. I like this house, but I want to check out the other places. Like, I hope you can understand. I just don't want to commit and potentially lose money if I like one of these other places. And I'm like, no problem. I totally understand. For the most part, people seem to lump these showings on the same day. Like if they're looking at renting a place in Hamilton, they've got three or four houses in Hamilton they're looking at. So I say, when's your last showing? Oh, it's 3 p.m. I'm like, okay, so uh, e-transfer the money, like fill out the application now if you think, if you're interested in this house at all. So now I have their application because mm-hmm. that's another thing. If you let someone walk away with an application, you're never going to hear from them again. So, so I say, fill out the application, text me by 5 p.m. And you can e-transfer the money then if you'd like to apply to this one. And so that way, because I'm telling them, look, I've got multiple showings. I actually book all the people at the same time for showing so that they can see all the demand for the property. I'm like, look, I've got other applications coming in. If you want to be considered for this property, you need to send the money by tonight so we can, so I can send you the background check email and we can do it. So that's how I handle that. Um, nice. I think only one time someone was like, no, I don't want to put down a deposit because they weren't sold on the house yet. They wanted to look at other places. A week later, they came mm-hmm. back. They're like, I want to rent the place. And this was just the exception to the rule. And I was like, okay, sure. Can you send the deposit? And then we'll do the background check. And they're like, no, like, I don't want to send the deposit till there's a lease in hand ready for me to sign. So, but they seem serious. So I said, no problem. So I actually did the background check on them, presented them with the lease. Then they, it was just, the guy was paranoid and he wanted to sign a lease mm-hmm. in front of him before sending any money. Totally get it. So I did it that way. But for the most part, if someone's not willing to set, to put a deposit up at the property, I found they're not, they're not serious about the house. And, uh, 99% of the property fills I've done, they've sent me a deposit like that day at the showing. Yeah, I was going to say on that note, like putting money on the line, what I've done from from my side is I'll actually push the cost of the check, the credit check, so it's 20 or 25 bucks, whatever it might be. So obviously not me being at single key, that's 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 who I use and I was using it before I came to single key. Get them to pay the, the cost for the single key report and uh, and I said basically if if you're chosen I'll just I'll I'll refund it to you um, on part of the lease signing so you get that money back or, or like you said it's a credit yeah. to credit towards your 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 rent or whatnot so and that's worked quite well as, uh, as well too because even like twenty bucks yeah you, you you filter the tire kickers really quickly because well they know right so they're not going to even waste twenty bucks to to do it and then they self-eliminate from the process and it's, it's perfect. So yeah, that's, so I do the exact same thing. I send a follow-up email. I use single key. I love single key. Um, that was, I found them before I meeting you. Right. And we got connected because I did a review video on single key for rockstar. But so I do the same thing. My follow-up email sends them and a link to the single key application where they have to pay 25 bucks per adult who's doing a credit background check. And it has filtered out some people where like 25 bucks. I'm like, this is, and I tell them this is the only credit and background check uh, report I accept. It does cost twenty five dollars. If you don't want to pay the twenty five dollars, no problem. You know you can't rent the property. You know, oh, I just pulled my credit report last week. I have an Equifax available for you. I don't care if you want to rent this property. You know, I don't say it so bluntly. It's just like that's the mentality. It's like you must fill this out, right? Like I'm not messing around. You're applying to this property, and that's the mentality, the protective mentality you almost have to have, right, to protect this asset of yours. Well, and even more so for you guys out in Ontario, you know, because once you've picked someone, it's it's kind of like dating in this business. You know, your tenant is your revenue source to maintain and run this rental property. And once you're in bed and you've selected someone, they're there for the long term until they basically decide to move out. So it's the all of the onus is on you as the landlord, the homeowner to make that most informed decision up front when you have the opportunity to still say no, because once you've crossed the line, there's no going back. Yeah, that's the thing. You're in, you're in bed with the person, right? So, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, you're trying to pick a life partner. Do you want to pick someone whose life is full of chaos and problems? Because guess what? Like you get sucked into all their problems and chaos. Or do you want to pick someone who yeah. has their life together? They've got money coming in. They've, they've got their financial situation handled. It's going to be a much smoother ride, whether you're going into business with someone, uh, renting to someone or marrying someone. So pick wisely, right? Um, okay, so we're talking about the, the money transfers. You do the e-transfers on the spot. Um, you collect applications on the spot. How, how do you collect your applications? Is that paper trail? Do you do an online form? Or you mentioned single key. Is that probably it's all digital now for you? 
Hey there, sorry for the quick interruption. This podcast is all based on the collective wisdom of everyone. It's interactive. We absolutely need your input and feedback. So if there's a comment, a question, a best practice that you've learned that relates to an episode or just something that's come across your mind you think would be great for the show, we are all about taking this collective wisdom to better the rental industry. Please, please share with us, good or bad, we'll take it all. I've got tough skin. Um, you can send your questions and concerns and feedback all to forrent at singlekey.com. Okay, let's get you right back in that episode. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I collect a paper application at the house. It's pretty simple. It just goes into some more detail of, of stuff that um, isn't on my pre-screening form and it's not in the single key software. And that's stuff like, you know, uh, just, you know, what are your intentions for living in this property? Like, what's the relationship of everyone moving in? You know, how long do you plan on living here? But uh, single key does a great job. It's like a one-stop shop for capturing a lot of stuff. So that I collect the paper application and then I do the single key check and then I do some sort of income verification. I know people can upload their pay stubs to single key. So it's great when they do that because then it's all in one nice report for me. Um, so that's, that's basically it. Then I do my other stuff. Like I check their social media. I check Google. I check different, different, you know, web resources. I check LinkedIn. I check their company. Uh, websites to see if they're on the about us or meet the team or whatever. So I do all that type of stuff too, but for paper-based stuff, I paper application at the showing and then single key and then uh, income verification through pay stubs or a bank check or that type of stuff. Yeah. So right now it's Christmas as we talked about, it's the 21st, 2022 at the time of recording here. Um, you've noted it's extremely slow. So uh, how, how's marketing going? Is there anything you're trying a bit differently right now to combat the slowness or is it kind of just like, well, you know, it's Christmas. I expect this business as usual. I just, I'm curious if you've changed any tactics on the marketing side right now to, to fill the vacancies that you're working on. You know what, um, when, especially when I work with landlords, if, if it's ever taking, you know, longer than we would like it to, they always, ask, they always kind of ask me, you know, can we do this differently? Can we do this differently? And I say, no, like I've used this system so many times. I know that the system works and I'm confident in the system. And sometimes it's just a waiting game. You got to filter through a lot of people before you get the right person at the right time. And so I don't really change much. Um, like right now, what I have changed because it's slower is I've tried posting on different ad platforms that I either went away from in the past. Like I used to use Kijiji all the time, stopped for like a year and a half. And now I'm trying it out to see if it's gotten any better, but it was like terrible for me for a long stretch. And I never actually found a winning tenant through Kijiji. Um, cause I track all my marketing and stuff. It was predominantly coming through Facebook marketplace. So I'm still on there. I tr I'm trying another platform, Rent Panda out, uh, which is in Ontario. So I'm, I'm trying some different platforms, but uh, the tactics are the exact same, really, or the strategy is the exact same, at least. So right now, places you're trying to list at this time of year is Kijiji, Facebook, Rent Panda. Is there anyone else, anything else you've tried right now? I, I use Zumper and Zumper gets me a decent amount of leads. I was, I did move away from Kijiji at a certain point and was using rentals.ca, though mm -hmm. I don't want to bash them, but in the last few months, uh, it seems to be much less effective. Not been very fearful. No leads, okay. and then you now have to pay for every listing, or or you can only have one free listing, and uh, just for the amount of leads, and like it's not worth any dollars for me at least, at least in the communities okay. where I've been using it. But Zumper has always been decent for me, um, and Zumper also posts on the PadMapper platform. Facebook Marketplace mm -hmm. has been decent, and RentPanda I just started, so I can't really comment on. But they have an amazing lease builder tool built into their platform, which I didn't know about. And now I think it's going to be how I build all my leases because it just streamlines oh. the whole process. Um, because anyone who's dealt with the Ontario Standard Lease knows you go to the government website to download it, and you have to have like Adobe, and then you can't. Adobe doesn't give you any permissions with with the lease. It's just terrible to it's, save it. It's a terrible, yeah, yeah, it's a terrible setup. And what I actually started using was single key. Uh, you can build a lease through single key or at least um, start the lease. And so that one is like a really nice editable PDF. And so I've been using that, but I found this Rent Panda one. They've built some software program to walk you through the lease. You just fill in all the fields and then it puts it on the okay. on a nice thing. And it has their appendix too, which is pretty decent to the lease. Um, so I like them for that, but I can't comment on their advertising. But really they just post on their platform, which I don't really know how many hits that gets. Um, but I know that um, they also will post on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, here's something I, I'm doing, which I don't know how sustainable this is. This is new. So I've got my investing partner's Facebook login. He gave it to me. And then my own Facebook login. And I posted all four uh, properties I'm advertising right now on both 
the exact same ad, but on both different profiles. And I'm getting totally different people reaching out on, on either profile. Really? Which is weird because I'm like, it should show the same on the map, the same in the listings, but it's like I'm double dipping. It's like, I don't know if maybe I just had them all posted on one. I'd be getting those people anyways. This is a totally new thing I'm trying. So same pictures, same written description, like verbatim, identical. Yeah. yeah. Same address. So, and, and what I was going to actually ask that. So on, on the Facebook marketing side, you add the listen to marketplace, but then you have the option to, sh- to share it into specific like buy and sell groups or rental groups, you know, rentals for the Barry region or whatever. Are you doing that as well? Or is it just like, Hey, this is up in a marketplace. If you're searching Barry rentals, my li- listing will come up. Like I'm just, how have you structured in those nuances or, is, or how, how have you done that part of the, of the Facebook, um, of the market, of the Facebook uh, ad? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so yes, I do do that. Um, but so lately I've stopped and the reason I've stopped is because I've just noticed um, it's just the hate that landlords get from advertising their properties in those groups. I just isn't worth it to me. And I actually would track if they came from that group or a Facebook marketplace because on my Google pre-screening form, I'd, I'd have, where did you hear about this ad? And it'd be like Facebook marketplace or awesome. or buy rent group or Facebook buy rent or Facebook rental group or Facebook buy slash sell group or whatever. And so I was tracking that. I was like, I'm barely getting anyone from these groups. All I'm getting are people commenting on these things that I'm a greedy landlord for charging these rents. And it just, the emotional, uh, just me getting pissed off wasn't worth it enough to post in those groups anymore. So I've stopped. Uh, That being said, for student rentals, that's like the number one hack to get more exposure is like if you're advertising to Brock University students, search up Brock off-campus housing or Brock housing and join every Facebook group for off-housing, uh, off-campus housing that you can, whether whatever university it is and post directly into those groups because some of those groups have like 25,000 students in there and they're in there specifically looking for rentals. So whatever the reason is, the dynamic is, you know, just student rentals, finding them is could be harder for students than just finding regular rentals. You don't know if it's, you know, specifically for students, if the landlord will rent students. So they join these groups knowing landlords will post directly to them. So that's a huge hack for student rentals, but no longer do I do it for regular rentals. I'm tired of getting just demonized by a lot of people in there. See, that's the, the, the devil in the details. That's super interesting, okay. Yeah. And so, 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 you know, I'm going to comment to just, just on, on that observation. And I mean, we're just kind of spitballing here, but this is, this is the great thing about these conversations is, is we share these lessons learned. So from, from running the Facebook here in Alberta, the Alberta Atlanta community, I, and my challenge with being on the Facebook platform, is, I mean, it's great to connect because I, I, I've met tons of new people, you know, our, our, our group's still growing, which is great, but you know, let, let's say I have an important message to get out. You know, great example of that was during COVID, we were getting health order releases, which was actually when we had um, eviction bans momentarily for a bit uh, here in Alberta. And we had actually interpreted the health orders and what our rights were as landlords in terms of visiting the property to do maintenance. Essentially, we were considered an essential service, so we could do it. But there was a lot of misinformation flying around and people thought, oh, you know, landlords aren't allowed in the, into my property. They can't come and visit. So we did a special show on that. And even with my best effort of like creating the event, I pin it to the top of the group. I tag people, all this different stuff. And do you know what my actual penetration rate is of how many members of my community saw that even over a week or two weeks? I didn't even get the 50%. Because it was, I was up, I was dependent on what the Facebook algorithm was doing that day, whether it pushed my my ad out to my membership, which it's kind of insane when you think about it. Is like I I run this group, I have an important message, I should have the ability to communicate to all the membership as a whole, and I couldn't even do that. So it was um, frustrating. So now, like you've got a really unique experiment where you're running two different Facebook profiles, which has a very unique demographic, very different data points on who each of you guys are, whoever the account's based off of, and you're getting completely different feedback on your rental ad. Yeah. So so one one was your Facebook ad and one was your investor's ad. So obviously one person might be older, one person might be younger. Like, like did you see trends or like, like just what was the different takes on it? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually changed my buddy's Facebook name from Adrian Omasta to Anthony Molinero on Facebook. So it's two Anthony Molinero's posting. We're both the exact same age. Uh, 
and we, neither of us really use our Facebook profiles other than advertising okay. these properties on Marketplace. Yeah, so it's not like one of us is posting, yeah, yeah. like, I don't know, political messages and maybe we're getting shadow banned. Because sure. that's actually what I've heard some, from some investors at Rockstar is they think they're getting shadow banned. And I don't know how much of that is conspiratorial thinking or paranoid thinking versus, oh, I'm actually, you know, my ads are getting less exposure because of political statements I'm making on my Facebook. So oh, okay. I don't know if there's any truth to that. There could be easily in this day and age with all the censorship. So I don't know. I know I don't yeah. post anything on yeah. Facebook, so they would have no reason to ban me. I abide by all the rules. Um, so I don't know, man. I honestly don't know, but I know some people have complained like, hey, I posted my marketplace listing, but it doesn't show up on the map. And I found the same thing. Sometimes it might show up on the map, sometimes it doesn't. And so why I tried posting on both accounts was an attempt because I posted two properties. I was like, yeah, it's not on the map. And I'm like, I'm still getting leads, so I don't really care. But I'm like, yeah, if someone's looking at the map, they're not seeing that listing. So let me try posting the same ad there. And I was sure that I was going to get one ad taken down. Like, oh, we, we noticed an identical ad or whatever. I was sure of it. And it didn't happen. <laughs> so... Yeah. So at this point, it's like, man, I want to get three more Facebook accounts and start posting the same ad there and just, just to get more exposure. So I don't know how long this will last, if it's sustainable or if it's even good advice. But for me, it's been working out. Well, it, it, it's just interesting because, I mean, and, and like just looking from a logistics side of how this platform operates, I forget how many users they have. Is it four? No, it's not four billion. That's, I think it's one or two billion Facebook accounts are out there. Like just... That's an absurd number, a billion users. So when you think of a company trying to moderate the volume of content that 2 billion or 1 billion accounts can create on a daily basis, it's all automated. It's all scripts and algorithms and, and, and whatever automated processes. There's very little human interaction, which is kind of a daunting thing if a lot of your business is based through a platform and how you either connect with the community or, or market if that's most of your marketing means. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's very, it's less than ideal. It's less than ideal. You know, it's the pro of Facebook marketplaces. That's where, you know, 2 billion people are. And so it's, it's no surprise that marketplace has blown up already because of just the volume mm -hmm. of people already on the platform. Uh, but the downside is, yeah, it's, it's all a third party platform that kind of controls your advertising, you know, you can always take some of that back, put up rental signs, you know, on your front lawn, post on these other classified sites. But yeah, you are relying on these third parties uh, for the time being, unfortunately, because that's where all the eyeballs are. So it's pros and cons. Depending which way the wind's blowing, you may get your house on the map or tomorrow it's not on the map, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's tricky that way for sure. Okay. So, so you haven't really changed much. So you're doing kind of the same memo, which is good, good to hear. Um, where I was kind of going with that is, is, you know, do you have to do any kind of enticement with like throwing in? So, I mean, coming from Alberta perspective, we have not had the same luxury of 48, uh, bookings or viewings to come out for, for a new listing. That's just, that's crazy. That's still like, that's a lot for, for numbers. So, uh, I've had to be very creative to get four or five qualified, let's call it 10 viewings, six of them are really qualified. I get four applications or three applications and then I can make a decision. That's generally been my lead funnel on some of my rental properties here in Alberta. Again, we are going back to like 2017, 2018, 2019, where Alberta was a slow market. Plus then you throw in COVID, which was just weird for everyone. But so, you know, I saw people where they would either get like a, a free month's rent and and basically they do free months rent or they might throw in like a free TV or, you know, cleaning for the property for the first six months, whatever, some sort of like bonus sure. free add in entice for, for, for lease signs to get things going on. Because I think at one point we peaked at like, we were double digits for vacancy. I think we had 10 or 12 or percent vacancy at the, at the highest point there. So, but that, but that still means though, that only one out of 10 landlords has no renters. So if you're doing the right things, you should be in that nine to 10, but it can be super nerve wracking if you know, you've got a listing up for two or three weeks and you're not getting a lot of bites or very few yeah. or, and that talks about like the disconnect. Well, Hey, if, if you're, if you're getting a hundred views or 50 views or 30 views a day on your ad, but no phone calls, well, what's wrong with your ad? Are you priced wrong? Yeah. Is the picture is not great. Did you say something in your ad? 
you're getting the phone calls, but no one's booking viewings with you. Okay, how are you handling yourself on the phone? Mm-hmm. You're getting the viewings, but no one's sending you applications. Okay, what am I doing wrong? It's very you can be very analytical with it. So, yeah. So I haven't had to to go to like the one month free rent or the free TV or free pair of shoes kind of incentives yet. Yeah, that's an Alberta problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be like desperate times here. But what I am doing is just tweaking prices. It's like, okay, if we're not getting, if I know the ad's good, the photos look great, you know, professional pictures, the copy on the ad is great. Um, you know, it's, it's getting views because of the photos. Then I just, I know like at a certain point, I know, okay, I'm priced too high for where the market is, we're priced too high. Let's lower by 50 bucks. Let's lower by a hundred bucks. Cause you always have to keep the big picture in mind. Like if I'm trying to fill a property for 2,500 bucks and I'm just not filling it, one month goes by, my carrying costs on that property might be 2,200 bucks. So if I just knock it down to 24, a hundred bucks less, you know, it's 1200 bucks for the year, but one month of not having someone in that property is 2,200 bucks. So it's like, you know, like you have to look at the big picture, like, you know, by trying to maximize rents, you're shooting yourself in your other foot and you might be further behind than if you just lowered it to where the market is actually at. And so I'm constantly tweaking prices. Numbers game. Exactly. So as long as my ads are good, then I, and I'm not getting the demand that I, that I want, then I know it's a price thing and the market fluctuates, right? So you got to be uh, just quick, quick with your moves. When you realize your price too high, you just got to lower and that's the unfortunate uh, reality of it. And, and, and how often do you do that? Is it is it a weekly kind of check? It's, it's probably, do you do it? Yeah. What's the cadence around that? Yeah, once a week. Yeah. I find three, four days gives you a pretty good indication, but at least once a week. It's it's like if a week goes by and it's another slow week and it's like, you know, there, there could be external factors. Like right now it's December 21st. I'm battling Santa for, for attention, yeah. right? I'm battling <laughs> right. the Christmas yeah. holiday parties. I'm battling, everyone's stressed yeah. out at this you know, I still got to wrap all my gifts for Christmas. Like I'm not looking at rentals right now. I've got, you know, my family thing Saturday, my girlfriend's family thing Sunday. So it's like you're battling Santa and stuff. And so it, it is what it is. Um, so am I going to lower it by an extreme amount through this period? No, I just kind of know it's lower visibility. Um, so, and I feel like I'm priced right because I already have made those those lowers on some of the places that I'm listing. But like, man, I'm telling you the longest time it's taken me to find properties is in this stretch, uh, second half of December and through January has been just like... It, it's the tough, toughest time of the year to, to, to place a rental. Like the, dog just, the dog days. The dog days, yeah. desolate. Yeah, no one, it's cold. No one wants to move generally. And then it's like so busy with the holiday season. It's it's just you're not top of mind. Totally. For, for a number of reasons. So I was just going to share a story here. So lesson learned on this whole trying, trying to be too competitive in rents. So when I first became a landlord, I basically became a landlord in a recession, which was uh, good and bad. I'm mean, obviously bad. It was super challenging, but good because I had to be very creative to to get rents. But I got burnt where I was adjusting the rent. And that's why I was asking about the cadence where you're going back and doing it weekly. I wasn't... Every time I adjusted, the market was slowing faster than I was keeping up with my adjustments. And I ended up taking two months vacancy. It took the long side or took the fill of a property. And I looked back and I realized I just wasn't reactive fast enough or to be really proactive, get ahead of this. This we were, I was in a declining market when I was trying to rent it out. And um, yeah, I, I ate two months vacancy and I still, I still had to drop my rent, which really would have equated to almost three, three and a half months in, in terms of if I had been way smarter, I could have saved myself like four grand. Like, like I could have cut two of those months out of there if I was really sharp with the pencil at the beginning and 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 got ahead of it and cut my rent down faster. I would have actually been like, yeah, I would have saved. I probably would have estimated between the two months plus the rent I cut out. I lost maybe almost four months of rent, and I could have been way better and, and, and cut that in half. But lessons learned, right? You know, this might, this might be destiny that I'm hearing this from you because uh, I, I think that might be happening to me right now and I'm not being quick enough because I think I'm in a slowing market too. And uh, I think maybe I needed to hear this from you today because I've never actually heard someone put it like that. Like, yeah, you got to be quicker than the changes in the market. Um, to put it that simply, it's, it's great because I, I know you have to be quick with it. And when I work with landlords, mm-hmm. it's always a struggle because I'm trying to communicate what I'm seeing and my experience. And maybe if they're a first time landlord, they're like, Hey, I got carrying costs, but I'm like, Hey, you're not feeling at this. We need to quickly move because the weekend's coming up, you know, let's get a showing in. It's another week goes by and stuff. 
Um, yeah. So I think I might have to be quicker with some of these adjustments right now because I think I'm in a slowing market for single family homes and units in Ontario right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was just like, because it, 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 fortunately, I kind of talked about my struggles and this was near the end once it got filled. And then someone basically told me what I just told you and I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. And uh, so, yeah, like it's, and that's where like, use the, if it's, if it's, if you, if I'm outsourcing to you as my tenant placement kind of service where I'm relying on you or if I'm doing it myself is, okay, what are my views per day doing? How come I'm not getting traction? How do I make those numbers better? And, and, and again, it's really, um, yeah, tuning in those nuances. And like you said, professional photos, all those things have to be done. We could go down that route. I know, I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself of like, what do your photos look like? What do you do with your photos? And I've done a few different things that a lot of people don't do, but it, uh, we could kind of talk about that as well. Or perhaps I have to get you back on another show, Anthony, to talk about marketing. You might have to save that one. But I will quickly say that like, if you know, like I've done enough ads now to know when I've got a, when, when my ads dialed in, I've got the professional photos, the ad, the photos look great. It's showing off the whole house, interior, exterior, everything they need to see for whatever unit or full house it is. Um, I've got a walkthrough video up that's shot well, that shows really well too. Uh, the ad copy's solid. If I know that, it's like, okay, there's only so good that your ad can get. And then it, then it's like, then I know it's the price. If I know if I've done no stone unturned, I've done everything I can to improve the ad and how it looks and comes across and sells the property, then I know it's a price. I'm simply priced too high and I must lower. And it's like a lot of landlords struggle with that. It's like, I think they come in with the preconceived notion of the numbers. They've crunched the numbers. I'm going to earn this rent, but things change. The market swings and you have to face reality. And it's like going up this year. Yeah. yeah. So like you said, even though it's a slowing market, like quickly adjust so you can catch someone, get them in and income coming into the property. Cause it's like, well, what are you going to wait for the spring market in three, four or five months to fill the property so you can get a bit higher rent? It's like, no, big picture. You got to look at your carrying costs and it's like, just adjust to what you can get. Don't try to get above market rent. Try to get market rent. Get someone in the property paying, right? Stop trying to swing for a home run and just get those base hits. Totally. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great note we should wrap up on, Anthony. Um, again, really just a casual conversation of going back and sharing uh, best practices. And I always learn something new. It's interesting kind of hearing how you approach it in your different markets out in Ontario from what I'm doing here in Alberta. Of course, we have different uh, legislation at play that governs how we might structure some of our our, our uh, leases and all that too. Oh, that, okay. I do want to ask you one more question that I promise I'll wrap it up. You mentioned, um, you know, you guys have a standard lease in Ontario for that you have to use it. And obviously the one that you get through Adobe from the government's painful to update and maintain. So I'm curious because I can build whatever I want in my lease in Alberta. I have to for sure have have to have a few key components to make sure it's um, it's legal and it's legit and it's um, uh, you know meets some minimum standards. But really, I can I can bake and, and and build it any way I want. How do you guys, especially if you've got maybe a student rental versus a single family versus a condo in downtown wherever uh, Toronto or wherever it might be, how do you embed rules and unique things you want to do to protect the property, even though you're forced to use a standard lease in Ontario? Like how do people do that? Do you do, do you do things a bit differently? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, how do, your, how do your leases differ between properties? The Ontario standard lease, it comes with its appendix and stuff. It's about 14 pages long, but um, the actual written part where you fill in clauses and names and signatures and all that type of stuff is just pages one to seven. And there's a couple sections in there which you have some flexibility to add some some stuff in, like the utilities and services section. You can detail um, like uh, lawn maintenance and snow removal. You know that you're technically okay. you're technically by default on the hook for that as the landlord. Even if you put in the lease, I'll always, for single family homes, I'll always put like, okay, you're responsible for snow removal and the lawn care. You know, I provide them with a lawnmower and some snow shovels and stuff, but you're responsible. And I actually write that into the lease in that services and utilities section and put it as a responsibility mm -hmm. of the tenant. Now, if someone were to ever bring that to the landlord tenant board and fight it and say, you know, I don't technically have to do this, you have to do it, they're right. And so I would do it at that point. It, but very often it doesn't get to that point because you've screened tenants and put good people in and they're happy to kind of take care of that. And that's what they agreed to at the time of lease signing. Um, so there is a bit of room for flexibility in that particular section. But aside from that, like I actually don't typically use appendixes for my leases. I keep it pretty simple. 
Um, some people have like have purchased these like 50 page appendixes from like paralegals that they use and stuff. And I find it's more trouble and intimidating than it's worth. Other people might disagree with me, but I, you know, I find that it's just more trouble than it's worth to do those long appendixes. Um, however, I do use like a three page appendix, uh, that I got from someone else and edited to make my own improvements and stuff for the student rental. Cause it just lays out house rules specifically for the students because I like expectations, setting expectations. Cause I like to baby them a bit more and it's like, you know, garbage schedule, like no hot stoves in your rooms. I, you know, no smoking in, inside the house. You know, you put that in the lease already, but you just kind of reemphasize that stuff. Um, you know, garbage schedules and that's just, uh, you know, expectations about taking garbage out. It's like stuff you wouldn't normally tell a family how to do. It's just assumed. Yeah. It's like for the students, you got to baby them a bit more. It's, it sounds like you're embedding some life skills into your, into your rules for the yeah. lease. Cause I mean, that's, it, do, you know what? I had a great uh, text message conversation with um, the lead student, like the leader of my property who's collecting all the rent from everyone and stuff because yeah. he's he's been paying me on the second of every month. And he was like, hey, man, I'm sorry about it. And I texted him the other day. I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. I know that it's a hassle. You're going around to all your friends trying to collect rent for them and stuff. I'm like, thank you for being the responsible one in your group. Thank you for being the leader. You know, you're showing great leadership skills at your age and stuff. And he was like, oh, thank you. Like he, he sent me back a really appreciative message and I could tell he was like frustrated because probably some of his friends weren't paying them uh, on time and stuff. And now he's on the hook and telling me that it, they're going to pay late and stuff. And and I was like, no, dude, mm -hmm. thank you. And so it was just a really nice message. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm building this guy up and uh, building these students up. And it's another reason why I love these student rentals because it was like, I was you like five years ago. So um, I can relate to them and stuff. And uh, I don't know. I just really like it. When I first got in this business, it was honestly, truly, not what's the word from greed, but like, it's just, it's, truly self-serving. I had, totally. I had a, just became a, a father. I had other lives that depended on me and I had a huge paradigm shift in my world going from living six months out to planning out my weekends to, okay, I have to look after another life. And then I, how can I provide a, a future and an essay for the family? And it was eventually found real estate and landed on that. But as I've learned and been this business, it is so rewarding to provide a rental that someone is is willing to call their home and they take pride in it and and you know you're helping them out and and it is really a mutually beneficial relationship between landlords and tenants where they just want a quality place to call home that's safe that they can have family and friends over and whatever and, and live their lives and in exchange they're willing to pay that monetary sum which is rent and it's yeah it's i love that part of the thing and and building those relationships and just yeah, it's fun. I, I like how you brought that part up because it's, it catches a lot of landlords by surprise. But when they figure it out, I think helps people stay in the business a little bit longer than they would otherwise would if they're dealing with the daily grind of the challenging sides of being a landlord. Oh, it's spiritually fulfilling, man. Even um, uh, my second property was a bit of a fixer up. And when we got it, it had bad tenants in there previously. We got vacant possession. It was an absolute dump. There was garbage all over the property. The landscaping looked horrible. It was just in a terrible state. And we spent the whole summer, you know, every weekend, me and my two buddies and my dad was helping with some more of the handyman stuff up there working on the property. And by the end of it, it was so fulfilling to turn this property around. The neighbors on either side of the house were so thankful that we had uh, come in there and bought the house because it went from being a total dump and you know just an eyesore you know next to them and living next to you know just for like how many years this tenant was in there to like a beautiful place and it's like wow we came in made this place beautiful and left it with a great tenant who's taking care of it you know even better than i probably would with the flower the plants and pots of flowers everywhere and it's that's spiritually fulfilling man like i i genuinely feel like i'm serving the community there and uh, not doing a bad yeah. thing and providing them with a single family home when they didn't necessarily have the financial means or desire to buy that home and be in the real estate market themselves. They just wanted to rent it and be in the same neighborhood so their daughter could go to the same high school. Like that's spiritually fulfilling for me. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, Anthony. I love it. This is a great conversation. I'm going to have you have you back for more. All right. So let's wrap this up. Um, I, I want to ask all my guests, I, and I totally didn't give you an opportunity to prep for this, but uh, you know, in exchange for your time coming on the show, uh, I always want to give you a bit of a platform to either get your uh, company out, your brand, if you've got a passion project or a charity or anything that's important to you that you want to share with the listeners. This is kind of your op opportunity to do it. So, I mean, you mentioned a tenant placement service. You can talk about that if you're looking to, to get your name out. 
talk about Rockstore or, or really anything that's important to you that you want to share? Yeah. So I'm actually a full-time uh, content producer and marketing coordinator with Rockstar Real Estate. We're probably the biggest active group of real estate investors in Ontario and possibly even the country. And it's just an amazing community. I joined it when I was 23 and then became a team member with them shortly after on the marketing side. Um, but it, I've learned almost everything that I have in real estate from uh, being in this group and from uh, the network and, and meeting people like yourself, Mackenzie. It's, it's all come from this group. And so I just really want it's it's very affordable it's it's insane the amount of value and uh that it's added to my life and i just really want to plug that because i would not be here sitting with you today if not for rockstar and then my own tenant placement business i, I do on the side i'm pretty selective with who i work with just because of time constraints and yeah. stuff i want to be doing a good job for everyone but you can check it out at findyourtenant.ca um, if you want to check that out but really rockstar real estate is is what i would tell most people to check out Awesome. No, appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining me so much today, Anthony. That's awesome. And uh, I think uh, another episode's in the hopper for marketing tactics. So there, again, there are a ton of nuances to this business and um, the right way and probably not so good of a way to <laughs> market your ad for the best results. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you for having me, man. Really appreciate it. I'm happy to, to do this again. So. You're very welcome. Wow. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, please check out singlekey.com. They are the main sponsor of this podcast and simply put, it wouldn't be possible without them. We want your feedback. So again, if you haven't done that and you've probably already heard the plug, but send us an email at forrent at singlekey.com. We want it all. Comments, suggestions, lessons learned, anything that we can tie into this collective conversation with all these different perspectives to truly better the rental industry. We want it all. So let us know what you're thinking. We'll incorporate it into future shows. And if you haven't already and you want to, please subscribe to us and provide us a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.